0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Sunday, May 28th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. ILF Waldman's mood disorder was taking a toll, not just on her, but on her family. So after consulting the relevant research, she tried tiny doses of LSD. Her book, A Really Good Day, details her experience and what she believes is a drug that may hold great therapeutic value. We talked about her experience and the slowly changing policy surrounding psychedelics. Before you wrote this book, you were a writer. Yes. Uh, What brought you to this subject?
1: Well, you know, before I was a writer, I was a lawyer. I was, um, I was a federal public defender. Um, and then I taught law first at Loyola law school in Los Angeles, where I taught constitutional criminal procedure and criminal law. And then at UC Berkeley, where I, created a seminar called The Legal and Social Implications of the War on Drugs, which was basically a semester-long exploration of the ramifications of the war on drugs from when it first began in the United States through the present day. And in the course of those efforts, I had occasion to um, become—to—to become familiar with a lot of the research out there on various different drugs. My area of interest was mostly criminal justice reform, but I did, you know, I read a lot about lots of different drugs and I read a lot about medical research. And, um, I ended up doing some consulting work for the APHA and the AMA on different policies that had ramifications, had public health ramifications. And, um, so I was sort of in that world. Um, and I've always been interested in drug policy. So when media stories v- in the very, very beginning, when when the first media stories about microdosing just began to bubble up, they caught my attention.
0: And you, you had a personal interest in this as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, initially, they weren't really talking about anything that interested me personally. They were talking about performance enhancement, which um, is not a particular, I'm not, I'm not I'm not very interested in recreational drug use. I'm not very interested in performance enhancement, although I do have a couple of kids with ADHD who use um, stimulant drugs. But almost immediately I began to wonder whether the microdosing might have ramifications for a mood enhancement rather than a performance enhancement. I have a mood disorder and have over the last, say, little more than about, about 14, 15 years have um, been medicated for it in all sorts of different ways with all sorts of different medications. I mean, you know, the chapter where I discuss that, there's basically a, a page-long paragraph listing every drug that I've been prescribed by various psychiatrists and psychopharmacologists over the last decade and a half. So I, I really, I, I, I immediately became fascinated with LSD's potential And, um, LSD and psilocybin, they both function in very similar ways. Uh, and then my, at the same time as that was happening, my medication regimen kind of went to hell. Um, I had a very stable, um, clear cut medication regimen. My mood disorder is something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. The easiest way to understand it is just really, really bad PMS um i sort of you know like it's like bipolar disorder one month one week a month and um uh, and the 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 what the treatment that i found that my doctor's prescribed for me was a week of ssris selective serotonin reuptake react- inhibitors in the week before my period and it was really easy you just took a week of the drugs you felt great no problems no issues but um as you as women get older as they enter their forties, as they get closer to menopause, their periods become less predictable. You no longer know whether you're going to get a period on the same day, you know, for decades, you knew exactly when you were get it. Now you suddenly don't. And my medication regimen required predictability. And when, and so things started going to hell, I started getting depressed. Um, I, you know, to say that I was getting depressed, it doesn't really, I don't think, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not quite expressive enough of the extent of my despair um, and my um, instability. And I was desperately searching for an alternative. And, and from a place of desperation, once I became suicidal, I decided to give microdosing with LSD a shot.
0: And what was the, I guess, was there a moment when that became the decision that you had made? Um, that's a good question.
1: Yeah, um, I remember standing in front of my medicine cabinet looking at the contents of my medicine cabinet, which is, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there, you know, we're a family of six. Um, and I was evaluating the contents of the medicine cabinet for what could kill me the most effectively and quickly. Uh, the decision I made was that I had enough Tylenol to make things easy. That's what was the most fatal drug, the most dangerous drug in my medicine cabinet. Um, and that's when I realized that I was in trouble and that I was, I needed to do something and I need to do something fast.
0: So tell us about that experience. I mean, obviously there are, there are, this, it's, it's an illegal drug. It's a schedule one drug. There are very serious yeah. penalties associated with it. But what was, what did you discover about your, well, did you have any experience with drugs before this?
1: Um, I had, uh, you know, I like to say less than presidents Bush and Obama, more than some people I know. Um, I had, uh, I had smoked marijuana when I was a teenager a little bit, but I didn't really like the way it felt. I had, um, been prescribed medical marijuana to combat a, uh, dependence on Ambien. And also when, um, I had, a, I was suffering from frozen shoulder at the time. And so I was using a uh, high CBD, low THC marijuana from my local dispensary, which is non-intoxicating, but, Uh, was very helpful for the pain. I had tried everything from, you know, uh, Percodin, Oxycontin, none of those things worked for the pain. And I also don't, I am not comfortable taking opioids. Um, I had used cocaine, I think, once at a party in college. Didn't like that. I had used MDMA with my husband in a kind of therapeutic context, which I can describe to you later on, if you like, but so, but I'd never tried psychedelics. Um, you know, I went to Wesleyan university where a lot of people tried psychedelics and I did not, I just never wanted to be, I I felt like if anybody in the world was going to have a bad trip, it was going to be me. And I didn't want such close proximity to the ugly side of my brain. So, um, I, but but I live in Berkeley, California. I thought it'd be easy to get LSD. I thought, you know, I would just go outside and kind of whistle it up. But it turned out that I didn't, you know, my kids call me, I don't know, what 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 level of profanity am I permitted to use on your podcast, Caleb? Uh,
0: 13, none? Nah, I prefer none. I don't, <laughs> okay. Cost me well, do- kids, it costs me a dollar but, when I do it at home, so.
1: My kids call me a basic B. You know, I'm like, I wear yoga pants outside. I get a skinny vanilla latte at Starbucks. I am the Venn diagram of Ayelet Waldman and... LSD users. There is no Venn in that diagram. It does not cross. So uh, I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find the drugs. You know, mo- there's. It's hard for middle-aged mothers of four to get access to illegal drugs. So I, um, I just started asking people, and then eventually somebody said to me, "You know, I know someone who was telling me this story about a professor somewhere in the Bay Area, UC, Stanford, somewhere, who was, um, is, is." Retired, he's emeritus. He's very elderly, and he's been microdosing for decades. And I wonder if you know he's close to death. If he'll, if he would be willing to to spare you some, if he has enough to get through the last years of his life. And that just sounded like nonsense to me. I didn't, tr- I didn't believe it for a minute. So I kept, you know, asking people who I thought might be likely sources—people who'd gone to Burning Man, um, people who listened to, you know, crazy music—coming up empty all the time. And then I, um, I opened my mailbox one day, and amidst the, you know, Victoria's Secret circulars and the utility bills was a little package uh, covered in pretty old stamps uh, with the return address, Lewis Carroll. And inside that package was a little blue bottle of LSD diluted in uh, distilled water and instructions on how to use
0: it. that didn't concern you at all?
1: Well, I'm not an idiot. I wouldn't take something that arrived in the mail. I ordered a testing kit online. Uh, you can get LSD testing kits from Amazon.com. And I tested it. It proved to be what it said it was. And I gave it a shot.
0: All right. So uh, was this experiment going to be 30 days from the start?
1: Yeah. I knew from the beginning that I was... Look, I was in a, when I was making the calculation about whether I was willing to do this... I'm a lawyer. I went to Harvard Law School. I graduated in the same class as Obama. Um... I don't comfortably break the law. I'm the person who gives back the change at the grocery store. I don't park in the red zone. So, but I was, when I was contemplating leaving four children motherless, um, I mean, I was, I was, I was suicidal and the difference between the, the, my, my internal calculation about whether I was willing to break the law was very different when I was feeling suicidal. But what I said to myself is you'll try this for 30 days. You'll see if this gets you out of that dangerous place. And, you know, it's also curious and interesting and you'll give it a try. So that's what I decided to do.
0: What research did you consult before, uh, before undertaking the experiment to make sure that you were doing this correctly?
1: I did a tremendous amount of research. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good student. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not. I, I do. I read a lot. I study a lot. I'm comfortable with scientific literature. I read every, uh, all the most recent published studies about uh, psychedelics that explore the neurochemistry of it. I read the uh, researches. You know, there have been thousands of studies on LSD uh, between 1938, when it was discovered, and the late sixties when it was criminalized, there were literally thousands of research studies published. I didn't read them all, but I read a lot. I read everything that I could about the dangers of LSD. I thoroughly researched, um, the, uh, you know, there, there most people say there's never been an LSD, a human LSD fatality with extensive research. I managed to find two cases that allege LSD overdose fatalities. One, it seems quite clear that the individual died of exposure. The other one is, um, it's just a problematic study, but I'm not, I'm not comfortable dismissing it though. It would not be something that held up to scrutiny, but, um, but there is no established LD50 for L- for LSD. The LD50 is, is a term used for to establish the quantity of a drug or a pharmaceutical or really any substance that is fatal. And there is no established LSD L- LD50 for LSD because there ha- hasn't been a truly verified overdose ever. But I researched things like LSD psychosis to make sure I understood that. And then it turned out that LSD use is actually correlated with lower incidence of suicidality than non-use. So I made myself very comfortable with the medical literature. I interviewed a lot of neuroscientists. I interviewed the people doing research on LSD, uh, on uh, psilocybin in this country and on LSD in Europe. And once I was really comfortable that both that microdosing was not going to give me a hallucinatory experience because I was not interested in hallucinating. I don't. I'm not interested in any form of mind alteration like that. I like to feel in control. Um, I don't drink alcohol. I, you know, when I when somebody when my doctor suggested that medical marijuana might be helpful for my shoulder, I would only use the kind that doesn't that's non intoxicating. Um, but when I established that microdosing was not hallucinatory and that LSD was safe. Then I was willing to try it. And even then, I built in some safeguards. Um, I made sure that there was someone present the first day I took it, which now seems laughable. But I had this idea that, you know, I might start to trip, that I might be the only person who could trip on a 10 microgram dose of LSD. Um, I, I, I didn't tell that individual that I was taking LSD. I told them that I was taking a, um, a new medication. And, um, and then I, you know, put two drops of diluted LSD under my tongue.
0: Over the course of that 30 days, was there, uh, you may have detected some differences, but what, what, were, what, what were those differences? And did your family detect uh, differences in your outlook, your behavior?
1: I think my subjective evaluation is actually less interesting than my family's. Because the thing about depression is that you're not, you're not reliable in your own self assessment. So here's a perfect example of how unreliable I was I felt like my marriage was imperiled. I felt like I was either going to drive my husband away or leave him. My husband says that that feeling itself is a symptom of mental illness that I felt so unlovable and so undeserving that I, that he, that I couldn't even con I wasn't even willing to, to accept the possibility that he loved me because I felt so unlovable. So what's actually more interesting than my subjective sense, which was that the LSD saved my life is my family sense. So, you know, um, when you have a member of your family who has a mental illness, you're kind of used to these periods of, oh, it's a new medication, it's a new treatment. So I said to my kids, all right, look, mom tried and is on a new medication. At the end of the month, I said, how was it? What did you notice? And it was it was astonishing. I mean, they all – this has happened before. I've asked them many times, you know, mom's on Effexor now. What did you notice? Um, and they all reported a dramatic result. They said it was the most uh, – the best – I'd ever been. My son said something that was actually incredibly painful to me. He said, um, you were just so, you know, playful and fun to be around. You know, I'd come home and I'd open the door and you'd just be really different. You'd be playful. And that kind of broke my heart because what does that mean about how I'd been for as long as any of us could remember? Um, but, uh, my, my husband also, He he noticed as well the improved mood, the improved equilibrium. He said that I still got upset about things or irritated or, you know, um, I might get angry at something I read in the newspaper, but that I had more of a a quicker capacity for recovery, that I could restore um, a kind of equilibrium with less um, effort.
0: So knowing what you – well, I mean, what was your view of the legality of uh, LSD, at least with respect to even research or its uh, federal my scheduling? My understanding,
1: my understanding, well, or l- my opinion?
0: let me let me let me rephrase that. Then, uh, what was your uh, belief about the legitimacy of prohibitions, a blanket prohibitions on LSD, before you undertook this experiment?
1: Well, I'm talking to you, Kayla because I'm a libertarian, right? I mean, I, I believe whatever my, I am actually fairly judgmental about recreational drug use personally. Um, but that's a personal bias. Um, politically, I believe that there has been a human, uh, co- um, impetus to alter consciousness since there have been humans everywhere you look in any human society, the most, um, isolated to the least people alter their consciousness in some way. You know, as soon as they could eat an apple, they began fermenting it for alcohol. So, um, so, so I think given that that's the case and given that these are, that, that altering one's own consciousness is not, does not in itself cause harm to anyone, usually including, but certainly except yourself. I feel that drug prohibition is, is morally wrong. I also feel like it's politically and socially catastrophic. I think that the way that the United States has fought the war on drugs has done nothing but immiserate individuals and cause vast wealth to be accrued by the worst members of society. You know who loves the American war on drugs El Chapel loves the American War on Drugs. The cartels love the American War on Drugs. The people who suffer are the people who are, who have been incarcerated and the American the entire American society which has to, has had to pay for this vast ma- campaign of mass inconse- mass incarceration. The war and and furthermore I think it's really important to note that the American War on Drugs has always been a war on people of color from the very first instance. The first drugs that were criminalized wasn't really drugs it was Chinese opium dens and this happened at a time when the average American opium user was a middle-class white lady dependent on laudanum to get through her day but the attack came on Chinese people the attacks on marijuana were initially attacks on Mexican Americans and this the attacks uh, the criminalization of cocaine was directly geared at com- at African American communities so this kind of the racist underpinnings of the war on drugs um make it, uh, I think illuminate that this is a hypocritical war and a war that we are not, that there's no logical reason to fight it. It it causes
0: us nothing but harm. What did you do at the end of your 30 day experiment?
1: Well, I had a moment where I thought I wanted to keep doing it. You know, it's, it's hard to feel when you felt really, really bad. It's hard to imagine go voluntarily going back to that. So I decided I was going to buy illegal drugs for the first time in my life, and I got a number eventually, and I texted that number. And then there is no one as paranoid as a public defender, and I became convinced illogically because, you know, middle-class white ladies are not generally the targets of DEA stings. But I became convinced that I was the target of a DEA sting, that the person on the other end of the text was not, in fact— uh, a drug dealer, but rather a confidential informant working for the DEA, and then I was heading off to jail, and I um I immediately you know stopped what I was doing and packed my metaphorical bags, and cursed Piper Kerman for having written Orange Is the New Black, so I couldn't even get another memoir out of it, and waited for the knock on the door, which you know spoiler alert didn't
0: happen. So at the end of your, uh, you you said you were at a a crossroads of deciding whether or not to continue doing this. What did you decide? I decided to stop.
1: I didn't, to be clear, I don't, I think that this is a medication. I'm not comfortable saying that there's, that this is not, that the vast improvements I saw in that month weren't the placebo effect. It's very possible that they were without a double blind study, you know. It's not like, you know, when they do double blind studies of actual psychedelics, it's very clear who got the psychedelic and who didn't, you know, and they give it to a bunch of people in a, in a sort of spiritual context. Half the people get a little flushed, feel a little nauseated. The other half starts seeing God. It's hard to do a a double-blind study in those situations. But with microdosing, it would be really easy to do a double-blind study. And until that's done, I can't say with any confidence that what I experienced wasn't a placebo effect. And the placebo effect is very powerful, as we all know in research. But I've been on a lot of medications, and I know what that feels like. And I am willing to say personally for myself, I wouldn't be able to swear it under oath, that what I experienced was a
0: real effect of the medication, of the drug. And your family was on your research team throughout this whole process.
1: Yeah. And they, they they're a hundred percent sure when I eventually told them that it was LSD, it was actually, that this crazy moment where I was at breakfast and I was like making breakfast and pancakes, I think I was making, and I was singing and I was braiding my daughter's hair. And typically I am not a normal person that I am. Ta- I'm talking to you right now from my bed. It took every ounce of energy to get up for an eight o'clock call. Um, I glower at the kitchen table, hunched over a cup of tea, um, you know, reading the New York times and the Washington post and scowling at anybody who gets between me and my iPad. Um, and I was this, you know, ray of sunshine that morning and my, and many of those mornings and my daughter, my teenage daughter said to me, Oh my God, what is wrong with you? Are you on acid? And i she never said anything like that before. I had I, I sort of stopped my tracks, but then eventually, long after the experiment was over, long long after, when I decided to publish the book, I um I had to tell them that it was LSD, and uh, and they were you know by then they were older, they're teenagers, and they uh, they were what I mean they were they sort of thought it was cool, but mostly they were sad that I couldn't have kept going because it really did help.
0: Has the prohibition issue, you said you're a libertarian and you view that the war on drugs is uh, immoral and has its racist roots. Is the prohibition of this drug uh, more personal to you now?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's, we all have political opinions and then personal beliefs. So I, I work very, very hard now to maintain stability with Periodic, I, cha- it's much more challenging. You know, I'm not sure there's enough LSD for my, me to tolerate a Trump presidency with equanimity. But it sure would have been nice to have some. Uh, but um, I, I, I feel, I feel personally a sense of loss. But more importantly than myself, you know, I'm very functional. I have a mood disorder, but I can function. And even more importantly for me personally, menopause, there's at least a good chance that menopause will resolve my problems. Once I'm no longer subject to hormonal fluctuations, I may not have mood fluctuations. I mean, we have to see. But there are so many people in this country who suffer so profoundly from depression, from anxiety, and we prescribe there are millions and millions of SSRI prescriptions, and though that is a um, that is a blunt instrument, SSRI's it works. It works fine for some people. For a lot of people, they don't, and for a lot of people, they work, but they have a, a really dramatic and unpleasant side effect profile. And LSD doesn't have the same kind of side effects. It actually enhances neuroplasticity. It appears, according to latest research, rather than um, destroying it. And then, and then there's the other side. You know, there are a lot of people. Though performance enhancement isn't my interest, I'm not willing to be judgmental about those who are interested in performance enhancement. And there is no doubt that LSD is an aid to problem solving. It enhances focus and creativity. And it seems foolish as a society to rob ourselves of all the tools that
0: we could have. Ayelet Waldman is author of A Really Good Day. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.